Now, please understand, these people were not saved by John's baptism any more than people are saved by baptism today. John's ministry was a ministry of preparation. He wanted to get the people's hearts ready so that when the king, the Messiah, the Savior finally stepped on the scene, they would want him. John's baptism was just an outward sign of an inner work in the heart that they truly wanted the Messiah, that they wanted to be ready, and they displayed that repentance with baptism. But understand, the baptism without repentance meant absolutely nothing. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, John the Baptist. We are in a study in the book of John, and last time we began to look at the mission of John the Baptist, a prophet in the Old Testament who was referred to as a voice. As we continue today, Dr. Brogy examines the role of a voice and explains that every believer is called to be a voice. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. He said, verse 23, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, there are two Old Testament prophets that predicted the coming ministry of John. And John at this point, quotes one of them, Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah 40. Let me read to you a portion of it. It's a passage of Scripture that deals with the coming Messiah. He said, A voice is calling, Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then... The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah spoke of this one who would be a forerunner before the glory of the Lord would be revealed, namely the Lord Jesus. It was a prophecy concerning the forerunner. And of course, that's the way the New Testament understands it as well. If you remember Matthew 3, now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so John identifies himself, not as the prophet that Moses spoke of, not of the coming Elijah that Malachi predicted, not the Messiah. He says, I am a voice. I'm only a voice. Now what's a voice? A voice is nothing more than a vehicle, an instrument. Jim Elliott, that great missionary who lost his life in 1956, prayed on one occasion, is recorded in his diary, Lord God forbid that these who hear me would confuse my word as though they are thine, or take thy words as though they were mine. He recognized he was just a voice, that he was to take the word of God and appoint men to Christ. That's what John was saying. The Christian today is just a voice. We are to point people to the Lord Jesus. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So here in verse 23, he's pointing out to these priests and Levites, Isaiah's prophecy, and he's affirming that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy. This locust-eating 
prophet named John is the last person in the world from a human perspective you would expect to be the Lord's forerunner. But he was God's man for the job. And as you ponder this man's life, you can see why. First, John was an incredibly humble person. Remember, he has already been describing Christ. He's been going around saying this. We read it back in John 15, uh, John 1.15. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John knew he wasn't the true light. He knew that Christ was. John knew he was a lamp, but Christ was the light. He knew he was a wick, but Christ was the flame. John was not a man who was caught up with a sense of his own importance. Here is a man who had baptized literally thousands of people. He had amassed a, a fairly significant following. And he could have easily have called attention to himself. He could have said basically what Christ said about him. Yeah, if, if you're willing to accept that I am Elijah. He might have gone beyond that and said, well, I am the prophet Moses spoke of. Or, I am the Messiah, but he never did that. He never played even on their own ignorance. He said, I'm just a voice. He had all the opportunity in the world to be famous. Yet every time you find John speaking, he's always pointing men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And John makes that a major theme all the way through this gospel. Now, very often, you meet people who want to be recognized, who want to be noticed, who want to have the attention pointed at them. Now understand, there's nothing wrong at all with your carrying out the call that God has put on your life, with your using the gifts that God has given you. But please understand, true humility, it doesn't ignore that call, it doesn't ignore that gifts, those gifts that God has given you, but true humility has it in perspective. Much like what Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Humility, of course, does not mean that you put yourself down or grovel. No, humility means that you put the Lord Jesus Christ up. It doesn't mean that you continually rag on yourself, but it means that you lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's John. That's what he's doing. He knew he wasn't the Messiah. He knew he was just a man. He knew he was John, not Jesus. He knew he was a voice, but not the Word made flesh. And so you see John exercising true humility and pointing men to Christ. Ironically, people who strain at humility, people who try to engineer their own decrease, typically just call attention to themselves. On the other hand, those who exalt the Lord Jesus Christ call attention away from themselves. And that's what God's called us to do. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, when you're occupied with the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't be occupied with yourself. Humility is not the product of something you try to cultivate. Rather, it's the byproduct of really lifting up Christ and focusing on Him. And so the real question is not, how can I humble myself? The real question is, how can I exalt the Lord Jesus Christ? How can I occupy myself with Him? And that's precisely what John did. He was so consumed with the Old Testament Scriptures. He had been in the wilderness for years studying the Scriptures, and he knew as he studied what God said about Messiah that he was just a voice. He further describes himself like a servant. Look again in verse 23. I am a voice. 
of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He describes himself here as a servant because much like in the day in which he lived before a king came into a town or a particular city, the servants, the people in that town would make the way ready for the king. In many parts of the world, the roads are rough and, and people know the difficulty of going over those roads. I couldn't help but think as I read this portion of scripture, our experience in the Ukraine even last month, and one particular road that we were on that was so, had so many potholes and ditches in it that we drove the car on the side of the road because it was a little bit smoother. And so what they did in that day, when a king came, they prepared the road. They tried to level it out. They tried to fill in the potholes so the king was able to pass through and everyone could give their attention to the king. That's what John is saying. He says, that's my task. My task is to level up the ground that Isaiah spoke of, to fill in the potholes, to bring down the bumps. My task is to prepare for the coming of the Lord. I'm a servant. I'm just going before him. Of course, he's speaking in spiritual terms. His task was to expose the sins of the people so that they would see their need for the coming king. Until people see their need, that there are sinners, they will never embrace him as king. And so he prepares the way. Now, those were the questions concerning John's identity. I also want you to notice the questions about John's ideology. Look, if you will, now in verse 25. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? You see, the kind of baptism that John was doing was typically done not in this fashion. It was rather unusual because typically the only people who got baptized in this day were proselytes. Now the term proselyte is an important word. Most of you know it. It referred to a Gentile who denied his polytheistic idolatrous ways and embraced the one true God, the God of Israel. And so a proselyte was a Gentile who converted to Judaism. And so the Jews were absolutely shocked in that he was asking not simply Gentiles, but Jews to participate in this baptism of repentance. Here was a Jew asking Jews to do what typically just Gentiles did. Now they could see a man like Elijah asking the Gentiles in his day to repent, and they could see John asking the Gentiles to repent in their day because Messiah was not just for the Jew, but for all. The Jew was to be a light to all the nations, to all the Gentiles. But the question is that he's asking a Jew to baptize, be baptized. So he's saying, Why are you baptizing? This is incredible. This is news. John is asking the Jews to repent. What is he doing? In essence, he's saying everyone needs a Savior. He's preparing the way for the Lord. And like the Apostle John, who makes this a major theme in the Gospel of John, he's going to point out that in the racial sense, being a descendant of Abraham is not enough. It's not enough to say that I am a descendant of Abraham. It's not your Jewish life that matters. What matters is your cleansed life, whether or not you've ever been forgiven by Messiah. Now, a lot of people responded to John's ministry. Uh, let me read a couple of verses from Luke chapter 3. There, when it describes John's baptism, it says, And the multitudes were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none. And let him who has food do likewise. Likewise, some tax collectors came to John the Baptist. You know who tax collectors were? They were basically rip-off artists. 
They had the power of Rome behind them, and they collected not only the quota that was demanded by Rome, but above and beyond that. And so people hated tax gatherers. You think you got problems with the IRS. <laughs> These folks hated the tax gatherer of the day. And so for the Lord to eat with tax gatherers was an incredible thing. And so what did he say to them? He said, collect no more than what you've been ordered to. And then some soldiers who were known for robbing people at the point of the sword. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. And so John the Baptist's message of repentance was straightforward and specific and certainly not received by all. The Pharisees hated it, as you read it in the other Gospels, though some Pharisees came to be baptized. Oh, but they were just phonies. It was just outwardly religious to basically get the people, I'm sure, to embrace them, but it was not of the heart. Because when some of the Pharisees came, John said, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. John is making an incredible point here that being of the lineage of Abraham does not guarantee salvation. So John is preaching a baptism of repentance to get people's hearts ready for the coming of the Lord. And whether you've been brought up in a religious environment or not, you still need a Savior. He's preparing the way for the King to come. Now please understand, these people were not saved by John's baptism any more than people are saved by baptism today. John's ministry was a ministry of preparation. He wanted to get the people's hearts ready so that when the king, the Messiah, the Savior, finally stepped on the scene, they would want him. John's baptism was just an outward sign of an inner work in the heart that they truly wanted the Messiah, that they wanted to be ready, and they displayed that repentance with baptism. But understand, the baptism without repentance meant absolutely nothing. And so to those Pharisees said, you're a family, you're a brood of vipers, that's all you are. And certainly there are people today who are outwardly religious, who get baptized, but they have never inwardly been converted. And so it means nothing. I'm sure I've baptized some. And I'm not alone. The Apostle Peter baptized one in Acts 8. He baptized Simon the sorcerer. He just went by what the man said, his confession of faith. And then he realized that he was still in the bondage of iniquity. But here's the point. John was doing precisely what the Lord Jesus will later call men to do. Listen to what he will say in John 7 and verse 17. Jesus said, if any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. I spoke to a man this week who's been in a lifestyle of adultery. And he said, I don't believe or accept the scriptures. I said, well, you never will. He said, what do you mean? I said, you will never accept the scriptures as truth unless you are willing to do God's will. I said, in your heart of hearts, you know the lifestyle you're living is wrong. God wrote it into your heart. And unless you are willing to do God's will, God will never open your eyes to the truth. 
And that's precisely what John the Baptist is doing. He's asking men to be willing to be willing that when Messiah steps on the scene, their eyes might be open. So he's filling in the potholes. He's preparing men for the salvation that Christ will bring. But his ministry is only pre preparatory. There is one coming after him whom he says will not baptize with water, but with the Holy Spirit. By the way, there's a lesson for us here today. And that God wants to use us to prepare people for the coming of the Lord Christ into their lives. Now, some folks call it pre-evangelism. I'm not really sure this is pre-evangelism. I think it's part of the work of evangelism. Now, understand, if you've been saved, if you're genuinely saved, then you've been commissioned by Jesus Christ to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Implication, if you're not fishing for men, you're not following Christ. Don't think you're spiritual if you're not fishing for men, because you're not. You may be self-deluded, but you're not spiritual. Understand that if God has saved you, He has called you, He has commissioned you. Now, I understand that there are some who have gifts of, in evangelism. There are a variety of gifts in the Bible. There's gifts of serving and, and administration and mercy and teaching and and helps and, and evangelism. And you may not have the gift of evangelism, but God has called you to do the work of an evangelist. And you may be here this morning and you do not ex uh, really experience as a way of life a specific gifting where you seem to have that touch of God to help people cross the line over into the kingdom of God. But God nonetheless wants to use you in this process of evangelism. You can help prepare the way of the Lord, maybe in a different way. It might be in trying to sort out what it is that's keeping and blocking a person from coming to Christ. I've learned over the years that some of the most effective people in the work of evangelism are Christians who are just good listeners. Christians who are willing to listen to lost people. Believers who are willing to find out why it is that this lost person does not see their need for Christ. Maybe they went to a church where there was a huge scandal and they were totally turned off and that needs to be brought into perspective. Or maybe there was some tragedy that took place in their family and they thought, where was God in this? Or maybe they have gone through in intense suffering and they don't know how God and Christianity really fits into all of this. Or maybe there's some moral block and they are in the throes of sin that they don't really think is all that bad. There are all kinds of blocks that people have, and God very often wants to prepare the way for the coming of the king into their life, but people who will basically listen and speak to them, whereby the Spirit of God can use you to help open their ears that are stopped and to help their eyes to see that are blind. And so like John the Baptist, in many ways, God would use us to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, if you remember when he sent the 70 out, it's recorded in Luke 10. Remember what he said? I want you to go out and I want you to preach a, a message of repentance. And he sent him to those places that Luke said, quote, he himself was going to come. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. We find those 70 going out and preparing the way for those cities in which the Lord Jesus was going to come. And so we as God's people need to be discerning and we try, need to try to understand where are people in their journey with God? 
Where are they in their pilgrimage with the Lord? Maybe they're going in the opposite direction. Maybe they're just apathetic and they could care less. Maybe they are full of honest, sincere questions and they just need someone to help answer them. We can listen to them. We can dialogue with them. We can pray for them. Hey, listen, I have a split personality when I share the gospel. Half of me is praying, half, is, half of me is sharing. I've learned to do that over the years as I share Christ, Lord Jesus. Open their ears. Help them to see who you are and their need to receive you. You see, my job is simply to allow God to use me to prepare the way for the Lord so that he can come in and be their savior. Now, too often, I have witnessed evangelists who have moved people emotionally but not spiritually. Years ago, I was really struck with this reality because we had a speaker who was traveling the circles in which I was working on the university campuses. And I mean, we saw decisions when that evangelist came in like we had never seen. The aisles were absolutely packed. But when the dust was all gone, so weren't the decisions. You see, what he had was a bunch of decisions, but not disciples. And you can move a person emotionally and not necessarily move them spiritually. And there's so much Christian gimmickry in our day. I've seen all kinds of techniques to get people down an aisle, but only God can move someone into the kingdom of God. It's not enough simply to pray prayers and say, okay, you prayed the prayer, you're in. They may not be in. Our job is not to convert people. Only the Spirit of God convert, convert someone. But our job is to prepare the way of the Lord so the Spirit of God can come and open their hearts that they might respond in genuine faith. Some of us might be involved in planting seeds. Some of us might be involved in watering the seed. Some of us might be involved in harvesting the seed. But as Paul said, the one who plants and the one who waters ain't anything but God who gives the increase. John had that perspective. Now, please note verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. The menial task of untying the thong of someone's dirty, smelly sandal was the job of a slave. It was a job exclusively, typically, for a slave. But here John, the greatest and the last of all of the prophets of the Old Testament, this one who's so enamored with the Messiah, when he thinks of him, he said, I am not even worthy to untie his shoe. Now ponder that. Is that how you feel about Jesus Christ? I find that tremendously convicting. Because sometimes I begrudge some of the pressures I find myself under in the ministry. Even yesterday. And I typically get up very early on Saturday morning and try to get my work done by two or three so I can get out and cut the lawn or do something with the kids and the wife. And yesterday it was 10 o'clock and I was still there in the study. And unless it's in perspective... Unless I am able to see it like God sees it, that whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do unto me, then we will miss the privilege of ministry. That the Lord whom we serve is so great and so awesome. 
It is a privilege to serve him as we serve his people. That's the perspective that John the Baptist has, that it's the most priceless, privileged opportunity to serve the Son of God. Now, we can learn from John the Baptist that our task is not to point people to ourselves, but to the Lord Jesus. And we live in a day when Christianity is such that if someone wants to become a somebody or something, they can use it to make it happen. We are in great danger today in this Christian pop environment and in this day of media preachers of doing that. Without giving any specific details, in the last year I was in a Christian meeting of sorts where one of the persons on the platform did such a marvelous, wonderful job in uplifting the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there was another person, and without even having to judge their motive, it was so obvious. All they did was call attention to themselves. It's almost like a parable in itself. I would ask you this morning, are you the kind of person who wants people to go away saying, isn't the Lord Jesus Christ wonderful? Or are you the kind that would have people saying, aren't you a wonderful preacher? Aren't you a tremendous singer? Aren't you a creative author or leader or evangelist, musician, or whatever else you can think of? Where do your gifts point people? Are you like John the Baptist? Listen, God can only honor those who will uplift him. The prophet said, my glory I will not share with another, God speaking. And I am reminded from this passage of Scripture that we need to stop other people from exalting themselves. And I am reminded from this passage of Scripture that God cannot honor the person who exalts himself because all, in essence, he does is create the pomposity of that person. And we live in a day where we've got basically cult worship, it appears, even in evangelicalism. Oh, he's my hero. That's not right. If you know my heart, it's my desire that all of us, whether we are the preacher or the teacher or heading a ministry or singing a song or playing the instrument or whatever else we may do in this church, that we uplift the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone deserves to be uplifted. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't encourage other people. The Bible commands us to encourage other people. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another day after day as long as it's called today. Likewise, Hebrews 10, consider how to stimulate, how to encourage one another to love and good deeds. And so we are to encourage the brethren. And when we are encouraged, we are not to have a false sense of modesty. Someone says to you, oh, brother, thank you for your ministry in my life. It meant so much to me. You say, oh, it wasn't me, it was God. How pious. No, it wasn't God. It was you. It was God using you, God's spirit ministering through you, you humbling yourself before God in prayer and seeking the Lord and walking by faith. That's why someday God is going to reward you. So on the one hand, you know you are what you are by the grace of God, and you can say, praise the Lord, but you can also say, thank you so much for your encouragement. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program John 003. One of the most difficult questions posed by both Christians and skeptics of Christianity is the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Well, Dr. Brogy answers that question biblically and clearly by explaining the justice of God, the lostness of mankind, and the incredible power of the gospel in his book, Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? You can receive your own copy with a donation of any amount to Search the Scriptures. Please call Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 to receive your copy today. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.